Let me welcome each one to this SDAT meeting by way of a video broadcast. I'm speaking to you from Kilskiri Free Presbyterian Church in County Tyrone. And as you will know, this is a recorded video, recorded some time before the actual broadcast date. And that is done in order to permit those whose duty it is to prepare the recording for this evening's meeting. I'm speaking to you, therefore, in the immediate aftermath of the heartbreaking news of the death of our beloved Queen, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. I personally have felt her passing very deeply. She has been a central figure in my life, for I was only ten years old when she was crowned Queen. And as a ten-year-old, I was, to some degree, sensitive of the change that was taking place in the country. Since my own conversion in 1964, I have often prayed that the Lord would indeed save the Queen. Nothing is more important, dear friends, be we pauper or princess, than our eternal salvation. I can but sincerely hope that it is well with our late beloved Queen. Having uttered these few words and given expression to my feelings shared by millions across the nation, I'd like us now to turn to the Word of God. My subject this evening, given to me to speak upon tonight, is when will the seven plagues be poured upon the earth? Now, I cannot give you a time and a date for these things to begin to happen. However, as a start to answering the question in our title, I would say that we should look at the opening of the first seal, as it's recorded in Revelation chapter 6 and the verse 1. As you know, there are the seals, the trumpets, and then the plagues, or the vials of wrath. And yet I do believe there is a very close proximity of these events, and overlapping, no doubt. But if you turn to Revelation chapter 6, we read in the opening verse of the sequence of events that follows, or the beginning of a sequence of events that follows the opening of the seal. Here's what we read in verse 1, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Oh, take note of that. The Lord is in control of these events. He is the author of these events. Terrible and all as they may be. We forget, you know, that the gentle Saviour is also the God of wrath and judgment. And so here the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see, one of the four living creatures. The term beast there is a most unfortunate translation because it, it gives you the impression of that which is uh, anything but pleasant, especially when we later come across the Antichrist called the beast. We think of these wonderful creatures as being somewhat similar, but they're absolutely not. These are angelic beings, living creatures. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, 
And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and they went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, there's so much there, but we do want to, as it were, find ourselves tied up with details here, for that's not the main topic of our subject. But I would ask you to take note of the fact that here we have uh, the one on the white horse, and he's carrying a bow. And the crown is given unto him. I believe we have the Lord Jesus here revealed to us coming to be crowned as king of his dominions. But he's carrying a bow. Now that's a weapon that is used at a distance from the enemy. Were you to read on in your Bible to uh, Revelation chapter 18 there you will see in greater detail what I believe is the same event the coming again of the, the Lord Jesus and he's not carrying a bow uh, on that particular occasion but rather he is carrying a sword and as you know a sword is a close contact weapon I said chapter 18 I should have said chapter 19 of course of revelation. So here is a preview, as it were, of the coming of the Lord Jesus, and it's linked with the opening of the first seal. I believe that that would impart to us the knowledge that when we start to see these events, the seals, the trumpets, the plagues take place, the coming of the Lord is within a bowshot. That's a good way to put it. It's getting very close. In the verse 11 of chapter 6, you have a conversation between those who have suffered under Antichrist, pleading with the Lord for him to exercise judgment and vengeance upon Antichrist and upon those who had so afflicted them. And the Savior answers them, we are told, in verse 11, white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season. So, here again is an indication that the time of the Savior's return is getting close. And that's revealed to us right in the middle of the revelation of the opening of the seal. The Bible teaches us that in the end is the people of God, the converted people of God will have largely gone to sleep with regards to the coming again of Christ oh, I'm sure they'll be industrious enough in their seeking after the comforts of this world but when it comes to the subject of the coming again of Christ they will have fallen asleep that's set before us in the opening verses of Matthew chapter 25 in the parable the Saviour tells there of the five wise and five foolish, foolish virgins. We read in the verses 5 and 6 while the bridegroom tarried. They all slumbered and slept, that's both the wise and the foolish. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Now this is a time of slumbering. Of that I have no doubt. As one who is a keen student, of what the Bible has to say about prophecy regarding the last days and who in reading my Bible sees references everywhere on this wonderful subject 
I find it altogether amazing, hard to fathom, how it is so many Christians really take no great interest in this subject. Indeed, many would seek to discourage the study of the subject, saying it's totally a waste of time, can't be understood. Even ministers of the gospel take up that notion. And it's all evidence of the spirit of slumber that there is today. But, as the time of the Savior's return draws near, there's going to be an awakening cry from heaven. A fresh bringing before the people of God this wonderful event. If you go into the epistles, you will find Paul particularly referring to those to whom he is writing as those who are waiting for the coming of the Lord. So there wasn't an awareness, a, 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 a fully awake attitude amongst the believers in the first century, far from what it is today. But I believe God's going to awaken the, his church and stir it up again in preparation for the coming of the Lord. The saints of God will be made aware that the second coming is on the very horizon. That's what the voice from heaven says in the parable in Matthew 25. Behold, the bridegroom cometh, he's drawing near. Well, I believe God is going to work by his spirit and by the preaching of his word and the study of his word to make Christians realize the time of the Lord's return is coming very near. Again, when we consider the character of the events that follow the opening of the seals, if you look at Revelation chapter 6 and the verses 3 to 8, you will see almost a record of events very similar to those that we see taking place around us today. Look around you. See the dark storm clouds that are gathering. We see the beginnings, I believe, of the troubles that will be visited upon the world, particularly the Roman earth, the kingdom of Antichrist, in that day spoken of here in Revelation 6. But today we have war, we have famine, we have floods, we have fires, we have droughts, that have ravaged many lands, including of late parts of the United Kingdom. There is, worst of all, growing opposition to Bible Christianity. Sodomites, adulterers, blasphemers, open defiers of God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, cannot dominate, as they do, the palace, parliament, the streets, and the airways of the news media without life for the Christian becoming more hazardous, hazardous and dangerous. Now the things I just mentioned, and of which we have been reading in our newspapers in recent days, have come upon us suddenly. Since the emergence of COVID-19 in 2020, if I'm not mistaken, what unimagined changes and chaos have impacted upon nations. Money and technical expertise 
have not been able to cope with these events. In actual fact, when we think of the reports concerning our own national health, it has almost broken our national health. Not to mention many other government agencies whose task it is to combat emergencies. At the very least, there is in this all that I have just referred to, a foreshadowing of the scenes depicted in the opening of the seals here in Revelation 6. If not indeed the very beginning of what is here revealed to us in this chapter 6. We will not merely look at the time when these plagues will take place, but at other matters that are related to their outpouring. I have a number of points to make and I will seek to set them out as clearly as possible before you. First of all, there will be many indications of the approach of Christ's return, of which the plagues are but one. There will be many other events and happenings taking place that will serve to augment and strengthen the opening up of the plagues and the pouring out of them upon the earth. How kind is God? How kind is God? He doesn't merely set off, if I might use uh, a picture, he doesn't merely set off one flare to let us know there's danger. But flare after flare after flare is going to be sent up into the air for us all to see as the day of Christ's return draws near. There were clear indications when Christ was to come at the first advent. So I believe that there will be even greater and clearer signs of the second advent. An indication of the Lord informing his people of his plans may be seen in Jeremiah's prophecy regarding the duration of the Babylonian captivity. God made that known. And and I would draw your attention to the fact that in his mercy God lets people know when because of their sin they're about to be visited with judgment. God in his kindness makes all these items of information available. I'm sure part of that plan has to do with mercy. Warning sinners of what's coming with the objective of having them repent and turn and seeking God for mercy. Daniel chapter 2, sorry, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2 reads, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish seventy years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Now, I may not be right in this, but I've often wondered how it was that it was not until this late point in the life of Daniel, almost at the end of the 70 years captivity, that Daniel came to understand that's how long the captivity would last. It says he understood by the books. He discovered it, in other words, in the writings of Jeremiah. But I've often wondered how he hadn't understood this and discovered this quite some time before. The 70 years were almost up, but we'll leave it there. Perhaps it is an example of how God's people can read the Bible and miss important points of information. Further information was given to Daniel, though 
And this again serves to underscore the fact that God would have his people informed of what it is he's going to do. In in the chapter 9 and the verses 25 and 26 we read, Know therefore and understand, this is what's being given to Daniel by the heavenly agent, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, Unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks, Messiah shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. Unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now, I'm not going to go into that particular prophecy, except to underscore the fact that God here in this, these two verses, is giving great detail as to when the Messiah would come the first time, and what it was that would happen to him. He would be cut off when he did come in his first advent. Now, I think that these things are in keeping with God's mercy. Since the events that will occur at the second advent will bring upon ungodly mankind the most terrible and eternal consequences. As ever, the Lord gives clear warning of judgment coming. It is in keeping with the term long-suffering, so often used of the Lord. Israel was kept informed of what the Lord was doing in Egypt prior to the exodus. Again I say to you, and I want you to grasp the simple truth, God's going to let us know. He's going to make it known to us when the end of this age is approaching and his return is drawing near. Evidence of this informing of his people and through them mankind and the awakening of the believers prior to the first advent may be seen in what is revealed to us concerning Simeon and his companion in faith Anna rather Anna for the knowledge that they had is very clearly given them of God regarding the coming the first coming of Christ and they passed on this knowledge to others Luke chapter 2 is where you'll find that story the verses 25 and to 26 and 36 to 38 and there you have how these two individuals, godly individuals, became possessors of information regarding the soon coming of Christ on the first occasion and how they passed that on. How they passed that on. Now I tell you that that incident was a foreshadowing of what I believe will soon happen on a larger scale as we get nearer and nearer the time of the Saviour's return and the pouring out the seals and the sounding of the trumpets and the plagues, all of these will act as sirens to tell us the time is near. The time is near. It's going to happen again, just as it happened in the experience of Simeon and Anna. The run-up to the Saviour's return is one of great and traumatic events. We're going to see things happen. I've already said we have seen things happen. 
in the last couple of years, the like of which we never imagined. But I tell you that these things are small in comparison to what it is we will yet see take place in this world. And it's, it's, it's God sounding the alarm and letting us know, letting the world know that the great day of his wrath is coming and drawing near. Now, if we go back to chapter 6 and the opening of the seals, we're told that it's a period of war, of famine, and of slaughter in many lands. Particularly, I have to say, in the territories of the old Roman Empire. That's the kingdom of Antichrist. That will be the ten kingdoms as spoken of in Revelation chapter 17. In truth, the majority of the inhabitants of this world have enjoyed comparative peace and quiet and plenty for a long time. But I think we see in but recent months that this comfortable affluence is under serious threat and is likely coming to an end. The seals opened in Revelation 6 and the events that followed that indicate that the end times will be turbulent as never known before. And I would urge upon you, because I cannot go through all the verses that would be required, but I would urge upon you to just read for yourself closely, slowly, carefully, Revelation chapter 6 and 7. I say, are we not seeing the beginning of this disruption? The rising cost of fuel, the rising cost of energy, the rising cost of food. I just got notice a day or so ago that the electrical company that supplies power to my house for the third time in I'm sure less than 12 months it's going to go up by 30% that sort of price rising is unheard of it's unheard of and yet it's not just that one commodity but virtually every commodity used in our homes is rising at this fantastic rate I tell you, disruption and disorder. That's what the Bible says is coming. And are we not seeing the beginnings of it? In the period of the trumpets, that will bring even more distressing times upon many. We're getting close to the period when there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Just every order that we have become so used to and taken for granted is being shaken it's being shaken that's referred to by the Lord in Luke chapter 21 and the verse 25 just before the period of the plagues which is the central topic of our study just before the period of the plagues or the vials of wrath it is to be noted that there is a reference to the final harvest Revelation chapter 14 the verse 15 says, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat in the cloud, Thrust in the sickle, and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So, I suppose I could from that verse say to you that in answer to the question that has been posed to me, When will the plagues be poured out? Just before the Saviour comes to reap the harvest of the earth. They are, as I've already said, one of the many indications of the approach of the end of the age. This announcement I've just read out 
is followed by the pouring out of the plagues or vials of wrath as is recorded for us in Revelation chapter 15. Can we not safely say that the events in the closing years of this age will be such as to arouse men, not just believers, from the deepest slumber and cause them to realize that the halcyon days of God's long suffering of man's wicked rebellion is coming to an end and the intervention of God in man's affairs so often a topic and prophecy throughout the Bible is about to take place never before the second thing I want to say is that the time of the seals go back to Revelation 6 is close to the end of this age for it is a time when the Lord starts the process of claiming his inheritance or his heritage Revelation chapter 5 back one chapter and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals now an understanding of the significance of this seal book may be had by looking at Jeremiah chapter 36 particularly the verses 6 through to 12 in this chapter Jeremiah is depicting the Lord delivering his people and their land into the hands of the Babylonians as a punishment for their sins you have that in verses 2 and 5 of Jeremiah 32 but Jeremiah also prophesied of the return of God's people to their own land in verse 15 the prophet was told to engage in the purchase of a field from his uncle's son and by so doing demonstrate that the land of Israel would return one day to the ownership of God's people and that such a purchase would not be a lost investment the enemy would only occupy Canaan for a time appointed of God then it would return to Israel that's what that little exercise that Jeremiah was required to go through when he purchased that field was all about what is particularly interesting is the legal requirement to have two deeds of seal one was sealed and one unsealed verse 11 of chapter 32 of Jeremiah when the property was to be redeemed that is bought back by the original owner or his descendants then the redeemer of the property would have to produce the sealed receipt or deed to prove his right of ownership and that's what the saviour is engaged in right at the time when the seals are opened Christ the redeemer of God's elect possesses a sealed book that is evidence of his rightful ownership of a people and all that pertains to their eternal happiness and glory he has a receipt for his possession his eternal people his eternal elect he made that purchase at Calvary when he offered his blood as the price of redeeming his elect from captivity and condemnation under sin Christ's elect are his inheritance he has yet to claim his possession and enter into the full enjoyment of it but he will one day I've been teaching the boys and girls in our Christian school 
How that at this very moment the Lord Jesus is seated at his Father's right hand, waiting for the day when the Father will cause the enemy to be broken and to become a footstool for feet of Christ. He's waiting at the moment. He has the sealed book. He has the receipt. And one day he's going to claim his inheritance. At this present time, each child of God is sealed unto the redemption of the purchased possession. We're told in Ephesians chapter 1 and the verse 24. The day of the opening of the seal and the claiming of his inheritance by Christ draws on. It draws on. And the events that will accompany the opening of the seal will tell us what is happening in heaven and how that Christ is getting ready to claim his inheritance. Remember what the Saviour said. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up. We are to familiarize ourselves with that which is revealed to us in Scripture, particularly the book of Revelation, because they are the signal. Things are coming to an end, and we should look up for our redemption draweth nigh. The Bible. That's the other sealed, or unsealed, I should say, copy of the transaction. It's open. We can all read of how the Savior purchased his people, and how that one day he's coming to claim but there's a sealed copy, as I say, in heaven. When the time will come, Christ will open it in preparation for his claiming of his possession. The scripture is forever written down in heaven. It's a sealed copy there. And all that's in it, one day Christ will open before his Father to claim what is his. Again, it's reasonable, surely, to assume that the opening of the seals is very close to the end of the age. Indeed, we are told very clearly in the narrative dealing with the outpouring of the plagues that John saw something that indicated this truth. Seven angels having the seven last plagues. And the word last is suggestive. For in them is filled the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark... And over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the hearts of God. Revelation 15, verses 1 and 2. It's tied in to the last three and a half years of this age. Because here is mentioned those who had gotten the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name. And these are things tied to the last three and a half years of this of this age. The linking together of these two scenes indicate just when the plagues are to be poured out. It was during the time when the mark of the beast was being enforced upon those under his dominion. It's during the last three and a half years, he said, of this age. Thirdly, consider the location where the events will take place during the period of the seals, of the trumpets, and the plagues. I know that there is a widespread perception among many of God's people uh, that these events will impact upon the whole world, one end of the world to the other. I think that error, for error it is, arises chiefly from the folly propagated by those who believe in dispensationalism. We have all heard at least, if not seen, the dispensational gospel tract depicting uh, at the time of the secret rapture so called 
aeroplanes crashing and other vehicles under the control of Christians who have suddenly been snatched away crashing and there's all sorts of disasters taking place all over the world it's nonsense, it's absolute nonsense I think that the view held by amillennialists would also support that notion that the whole earth is affected by these awful things taking place but let me just remind you that at the first impact or the first advent there was a limited impact at the first only the land of Israel was affected certainly it spread outward in the days of the apostles when Christ sent them out onto the Gentile nations but at the first it was an event the coming of Christ the first time was an event only the people of the Holy Land and only a limited number of them was aware of remember the Saviour's words to the woman of Canaan but he answered and said I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel Matthew 15 verse 24 however that embargo that limitation was soon lifted following the day of Pentecost and the glorious news of Christ's redemption began to spread throughout the whole world but that wasn't the case at the first and it took decades for those cities that we are familiar with like Ephesus to actually receive the gospel well I think there's a pattern here for us to note please consider these words found in Zechariah if you want to look it up in your own Bible at this moment Zechariah chapter 8 the verse 20 thus saith the Lord of hosts it shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts I will go also yea many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and pray before the Lord thus saith the Lord of hosts in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations even take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew saying we will go with you for we have heard that God is with you now I'm not going to take the time now to, to tell you that those words relate to what is happening after the Saviour returns Isaiah chapter 2 speaks of the Lord coming to Jerusalem and the word of the Lord going out from Jerusalem at the beginning and throughout the years of the millennial reign well here is events linked to that very thing and what I want you to take note of and I say to you as I've often said to the boys and girls watch every word here's what the people are saying to this Jew whom they have laid hold upon we will go with you for we have heard that God is with you they had heard they hadn't seen the coming of the Lord and that's something you should give a little thought to but they had heard about it you see that little phrase we have heard that God is with you is an indication that there was a publishing across the world of what was happening in Jerusalem now that Christ had returned he's returned to take up residence in Zion and it will become the subject of news reports which have reached out beyond the Holy Land unto unbelieving nations and in response to these reports 
There is a flocking to Jerusalem in company with the exiled Jews who are themselves being gathered by the Lord out of all nations. We might consider the words of Rahab. You remember her in the city of Jericho? As an example of how the reports of the extraordinary dealings of God with Egypt when he plagued it went out to the surrounding nations. Remember the spies? Here's what she said. And she said unto them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side Jordan, Sihon and Og whom ye utterly destroyed that's Joshua chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 we have heard it was 40 years ago these things had happened we have heard see how the reports of what God did in, in Egypt has spread well likewise when the Saviour comes the reports have spread and men and women will hear of what's happening and will be attracted to Jerusalem we might talk about the Gideon the Gibeons rather, the Gibeonites they explained to Joshua why they put on the show and pretended they had come from a great distance and if you look at Joshua chapter 9 and the verses 9 and 10 it says well, we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt so I'm pressing upon you the fact that the Lord in his coming will prior to his coming have centered his attention upon the location that throughout history he has ever centered his attention namely the Mediterranean area that which Israel is to a large degree the very center of well that's where the plagues etc will fall in that territory in and around that ancient region from Babylon high to the coasts of England we're told particularly that Jerusalem and Babylon will feature in the events of the final days in Revelation chapter 11 we read of the, that period which refers to the last 42 months of this age verse 2 the events recorded in that chapter take place in the great city which is spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt where our Lord was crucified and the judgment that fall there recorded in chapter 11 of Revelation they follow Jerusalem they follow Jerusalem not in Moscow New York or anywhere else Jerusalem and that's where we will see the events spoken of under the seals the trumpets and the plagues take place again if we look at Revelation 16 verse 2 we are told where the first plague will fall and the first went and poured his out his vial upon the earth and there fell a noisome and grossome sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. Now I have to say that again we underscore the fact that when the word world appears here it doesn't really mean all of the globe. It doesn't mean the inhabited earth. The word earth is a translation of a Greek word that is often used to refer to the land of Israel indeed its first appearance its first appearance in the New Testament refers to Judah let me read you out the first reference where you find this Greek word and thou Bethlehem in the land there's your Greek word in the land 
of Judah. Art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. That's Matthew chapter 2 verse 6. So uh, the word I believe when we're studying prophecy should ever be limited to an understanding that it's a reference to the land of Israel. It likewise appears so uh, in a few verses further on. Verse 20 of chapter 2 of Matthew. Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For they are dead that sought the young child's life. So, this focus upon the land of Israel and the territories that are associated with it in the days of Antichrist is again mentioned for our consideration in Luke chapter 2 verse 1. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Well, all the world doesn't mean all the world. For Caesar's dominion and rule didn't extend to all the world, but it did extend to the territories over which Antichrist will one day rule. That's where the plagues will fall. That's where they will fall. We are told specifically that the plagues will be poured out on the earth in Revelation 16:1, and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your way and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And there again you have that Greek word that doesn't mean the whole earth. just refers to a limited portion of the earth. That portion that we can rightly call the prophetic earth. Prophetic earth. It's the ten kingdoms that are referred to in Revelation chapter 17, the verses 12 and 14, who come to support and amalgamate themselves and ally themselves with the Antichrist. That is the earth upon which the plagues will fall. A further indication of the location, I'm pressing this upon you, where we're to look for the plagues to be poured out, may be seen in chapter 16 and verse 3. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. I believe this is the same sea as referred to in Revelation chapter 13, out of which the Antichrist, the beast, arose. The sea is the Mediterranean Sea. The word Mediterranean, as you know, means the middle of the earth. The middle of the earth. And it's right in the middle of Antichrist's earth. One of the plagues will fall upon that sea. An even more definite indication of the location of the area plagued is given in chapter 16, the verse 10. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. And his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain. So again, I'm telling you that we can look for fulfilling of the pouring out of the plagues in those territories over which Antichrist rules. For he is the chief target of God's plagues, just as it was with Pharaoh and his land. One final point that I want to make. The specific time when the seven last plagues are to be poured out is clearly indicated to us in God's word. That is, it's clearly indicated with a little bit of research. God, God hid gold in the earth and many, many other precious stones and objects, diamonds, all the precious stones, etc. And men have to dig for them. There's no one growing on trees. And it's a bit like that. God demands an effort from us to find his truth. And there's a specific time when the last plagues 
are going to be poured out. It's clearly there in the word of God for those who will look. We are told the period in which the first plague is poured out in Revelation chapter 16 verse 2. is poured out when the mark of the beast is evident in his kingdom. That's within the last three and a half years. It's the time of the very zenith of Antichrist's power. We're told the purpose of the place. What, why is God doing this? That will tell us something of the timing. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air and became a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done! Chapter 16, verse 17. The gloriously triumphant purpose of God regarding Babylon and the apostasy linked with it is ended under the judgment of God. It's one of the very final scenes of this age. It is the purpose of God to avenge Babylon and its age-old rebellion which it has fomented amongst mankind even today. We have Babylonianism in popery, we have it in ecumenism, we have it in the liberal theology that abounds within our churches. That's Babylon. God's going to avenge it. It's the wine of fornication that has intoxicated the nations of men even today. Remember what you read in Revelation chapter 17. The angel takes John and he says, Come hither, I will show ye the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Babylonianism. God's going to avenge. And the last plague is poured out on the seat of the beast, the very headquarters of this rebellion. God's going to fulfill us, but of that we can't be sure. I love a verse that I read in Jeremiah chapter 51. I've come to it many times. I've marked it so well in my Bible I can hardly read it in my Bible. But here's what it says, Jeremiah 51 verse 29. And the land shall tremble in sorrow, for every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon, to make the land of Babylon a desolation without an inhabitant. An inhabitant. What is said in verses 9 and 11 should be noted. Men were scorched with a great heat and blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their souls and repented not and repented not of their deeds. Even to such as these rebels will an opportunity be given to learn of their sins and turn from them. But they repented. They were sold out entirely to rebellion against God. Opportunities to repent may be given, but repentance is not in mortal man's power. It's a gift of God's grace. Wicked men may be given space to repent, yet if God does not give that grace to repent, no man will repent. Here is foretold for us the fate of the ungodly. That's why all these things are set before us in the Bible. No man will ever go to hell claiming I never knew, I was never told. It's there in great detail of what sin will bring upon men. Such a forewarning displays God's mercy. No clearer warning of the fate of the defiers of God could be given. In closing, may I ask if any of you have noted the words of this clear warning of that which is to come on wicked men and yet not acted upon that warning 
Have you taken heed of these words? And sought the Lord for mercy, crying out, God be merciful to me. Long ago, a young mother called Hannah said this, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. First Samuel chapter 2 verse 10. Hannah was so right. It will come. May the Lord bless you. And I hope at least to some degree you have found this study profitable, helpful and glorifying of God. Good night and God bless you.